tonight, consequences as Canada's benchmark borrowing rate hits a 14-year high. The cost of the seventh hike this year. Our mortgage has gone up over $1,000 a month. Financial pain and the path forward. How much more? It's really bad, really bad. Security concerns over an RCMP contract connected to a Chinese tech firm. I find it disconcerting. Searing accusations as Ottawa orders a full review. It's almost something that you'd expect to be out of a spy novel. Plus, surging demand for Old St. Nick. Ho, ho, ho. They're wanting to get that sense of tradition. The holiday scramble with Santa's in short supply. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. At a time when it seems like everything is getting more expensive today, so did the cost of borrowing again. The Bank of Canada raised its key interest rate by half a percentage point to 4.25 percent, the highest it has been since January 2008. The central bank is signaling aggressive increases to fight inflation may soon end, but that doesn't change the economic sting for many Canadians as they head into Christmas. Here's CTV's John Vennavelli Rao. For millions of Canadians with certain mortgages or lines of credit, it is yet another painful hike. It's a very, very uncertain times and very scary. Good for a family of three. In 2020, Minhaj Hader bought a house in Bowmanville, Ontario, and has already seen his mortgage payments go from $1,800 to $2,200 a month. The bulk of that now going to interest only, and he's worried about rates going higher. If the bank comes to me and says, okay, from next month onwards, your mortgage is $3,000, I cannot afford to pay $3,000. The only option at that point I would have is to sell the property. The jump is the Bank of Canada's seventh in a row. The trend-setting rate started the year near zero and has shot up faster than it has in 40 years. This couple has seen their payments go up $1,200 a month. Stopped going for vacations or going out. In its inflation fight, the bank's been trying to curb spending. It's a generational shock. And some analysts think rates may finally have peaked. So I think the bet right now is that the bank is probably going to keep rates at 4.25% for the foreseeable future. The bank has signaled a pause may be coming, noting the three-month rates of change in core inflation have come down, though adding it's still too high. More costly mortgages have seen home sales plummet. Mortgage broker Ron Butler says business has plunged 50%. His office has let 11 people go, or a third of its staff, and says others in the industry are struggling. The last time I took an Uber, it turns out that the driver was a real estate lawyer. And he thinks there's plenty more job losses to come. There's 70,000 real estate agents registered in the greater Toronto area. With this kind of reduction in real estate sales, they'll be lucky if there's half of them last next year. And while the rate hikes may be slowing inflation, some economists are convinced they will tip the country into a recession, saying 2023 could be tough for a lot of people. Oh my. And a rough way to end this year, John, thanks. The recent rise of flu-related deaths in children has triggered urgent cross-country warnings from doctors. The majority of these deaths are in B.C., where today we learned more details about one of the victims. Here's Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy. 
when rushed to BC's Kelowna General Hospital last week, nine-year-old Isla Lasoth had a bad rash and was seriously sick with influenza. But instead of getting better, she got another infection and later died. The coroner service is now investigating the recent deaths of at least five children who had the flu. That number is more than double previous years. It shows um, the significant dangers the flu can have for many children. It can be relatively mild and then for some it can be fundamentally difficult. Influenza is sweeping across the country and children are being particularly hard hit. There's also been two related deaths in Alberta and at least one in Ontario. Influenza is not a benign illness and that it has some deadly suspects if it's you know, not caught early or um, not brought to medical attention early enough. Health experts say this season's dominant flu strain, commonly called H3N2, may be associated with more severe outcomes. We're having a lot more pediatric hospitalizations. Dr. Jesse Pappenberg is a pediatric infectious disease specialist who tracks influenza rates in children. Influenza infection is very common, in particular in children. Up to 30% of kids can get infected. While infections are common, Pappenberg says deaths are rare, adding that in all of Canada, there are typically about five per year among children under 10. In our surveillance network uh, that includes 12 pediatric hospitals across Canada, over a 10-year period, we had an average of five and a half influenza-associated deaths in children. To better protect kids, many doctors say masks should be worn to limit the spread of illness, and public health officers across the country are encouraging people to get their flu shot. Omar? All right, Melanie, thank you. A wave of public dissent may have played a role in China's decision to scrap some of its rigid pandemic restrictions. The reversal comes a week after mass protests against the hardline approach to the virus. People can now isolate at home rather than being forced into quarantine camps. And negative tests are no longer needed for most venues. China's government is also accused of security threats and foreign interference in Canada. Tonight, there are new concerns about an RCMP contract linked to a Chinese tech firm. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver explains. When the RCMP needed work on its radio communication system, the government chose to give a half a million dollar contract to a company linked to the Chinese government that offered the lowest bid. It's almost something that you'd expect to be out of a spy novel, but characters in spy novels would never be that incompetent. So the Prime Minister has to take the responsibility for his own government. The RCMP says the equipment poses no security concerns, but Sinclair Technologies, an Ontario-based satellite communications company, has links to Beijing. In 2017, its parent company, Norsat International, was purchased by Hytera, which is partially owned by the Chinese government. Hytera is facing 21 espionage charges in the United States, and in 2021, their products were banned by the U.S. That does suggest that, that they do, in fact, know more about the company and, and have some real concerns about it. Uh, they don't usually do... I mean, are they careful? Yes. But do they do it when there's no cause? Not usually. Today, the Prime Minister called for the contract with the RCMP to be reviewed. Obviously, we have to ensure... Uh, that it is explicitly spelled out uh, that sensitive contracts that implicate issues of national security uh, need to be uh, provided to uh, only uh, reliable, uh, reliable uh, uh, sources of procurement. 
But it's not just one contract with Sinclair. Since November 2017, the RCMP, National Defense and Fisheries and Oceans have awarded other contracts with a combined total value of more than $2.6 million. One of the challenges is once a vendor is probably approved, they're probably not reviewed for security later on. In 2017, the Liberal government greenlit the takeover without a full-fledged national security review, despite criticism from the opposition. Tonight, Sinclair says it is a trusted and independent company, Omar, but offered no further comment. All right, Annie, thank you. The Prime Minister was at the Biodiversity Conference in Montreal today, where he announced $800 million to support Indigenous-led conservation projects. It is a significant step forward, a path forward to reconciliation across Canada. Outside, there were some protesters who say these international gatherings only pay lip service to the real issues. Extreme flooding put millions in Pakistan on the front lines of climate change. CTV's Genevieve Beauchemin on the recovery. Months on, waters are ever so slowly receding in Pakistan. <laughs> Repairing what apocalyptic floods washed away over the summer months is a formidable task with a price tag this country can't afford. Damages and losses altogether were estimated at uh, approximately 30 billion U.S. dollars. The United Nations has called on the world to help. We traveled 400 kilometers across Balochistan. Knut Otsby of the U.N. Development Program toward flood-affected regions, seeing firsthand the ravages of torrential monsoon rains and a severe heat wave that melted glaciers. All that unleashed massive destruction. These floods were climate-induced. It was not only these floods. Before the floods, we had climate-induced drought. One-third of Pakistan was underwater. More than 1,700 people died. And millions now struggle to survive, their homes washed away and roads destroyed. We drained this patch of land, says this father of five. We're trying to build a hut so we can bring our children here. And the problem is not just floods this year. Islamabad is one of the most polluted capitals in the world. That's because of rapid growth and urbanization. Climatologists say it's been a problem for years and it will be a bigger problem in years to come. Last month, Pakistan led an effort at the UN Climate Change Summit COP27 for a breakthrough deal to create a fund to help poor countries ravaged by climate change. Otsby says it's urgent to provide basic needs and to fix Pakistan's infrastructure. Yeah, one immediate area where we have been working, among others, with the government of Canada is to rehabilitate, uh, rebuild girls' schools. And the goal is to rebuild as much as possible in a climate-resistant way, because as the global temperature rises, this could happen again. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Islamabad. Dramatic events unfolding in Germany tonight, where a massive counter-terror operation has busted an armed attempt to topple the government. Dozens of far-right extremists have been arrested, including a little-known aristocrat and German military veterans. CTV's chief international correspondent Paul Workman reports. German prosecutors described a shadowy right-wing conspiracy obsessed by the fantasy of an armed and violent coup d'etat. Interrupted by 3,000 police and special forces, raiding and arresting suspects inside Germany, and two outside the country. These were crazy, absurd ideas, said this Bavarian state minister. Complete far-right lunacy, he said, and highly dangerous. 
among the alleged coup leaders, a Berlin judge, and once a far-right member of Germany's parliament. An obscure prince, Heinrich XIII, descendant of German royalty and long shunned by his own family. Police said many of those arrested had military training and were known to be well armed with stolen weapons. The suspects are united by a hatred of democracy, said the country's interior minister, and clearly dangerous enough for prosecutors to act. Allegedly plotting an armed assault on Germany's parliament and targeting cabinet ministers. Described today as an odd and motley crew of co-conspirators, a chef, a pilot, a serving soldier, but with a plan that was chilling. German authorities have long warned that far-right extremist groups pose the biggest threat to the country. Those threats have now been cut short by a vast police roundup, Omar. Paul, thank you. Time magazine has revealed its person of the year for 2022. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and the spirit of Ukraine, a spirit that's still being tested. Canada and the Netherlands filed a joint declaration today to intervene in Ukraine's genocide claim against Russia at the International Court of Justice. But as CTV's Danielle Hamamjan explains, the full scope of the atrocities hasn't yet been measured. And a warning, some of what you're about to hear is graphic and disturbing. Investigating a possible war crime while the war itself is still unfolding. In southern Ukraine, the remains of a man who died six months ago are exhumed for a forensic pathologist to establish the exact cause of death. His widow wants Russia punished for the missile that killed him. So do Ukrainian authorities who are gathering evidence in hopes of building a case. Much harder to investigate, however, are those crimes that often go unreported. They involve a silent and the cheapest of weapons, rape. Among the testimonies so far collected, they knocked out all my teeth, broke my arm. They tore off my clothes and stabbed out cigarettes against my body. There were eight of them in total. They started raping me. Each of them did it. War crime cases are expected to be passed along to the International Criminal Court, which is holding its annual meeting. It's clear that it, it is used as a deliberate tactic and that somebody is ordering this and somebody is uh, insisting that this is what has to be done. But after 20 years, the ICC has produced only one conviction of war rape. But there's no doubt about it. The record needs to improve. Nigel Pavoas is part of an international team investigating alleged war crimes on the front line. It involves um, raping a child in front of the mother, then raping the mother. Uh, it involves um, lining up women of all ages, from teenagers up to women in their 80s. Uh, to, um, to rape them too. In one case, according to the UN, two Russian soldiers raped one woman several times, committed acts of sexual violence on her husband, forced the couple to have sex in their presence, then one of the soldiers forced their four-year-old daughter to perform oral sex on him. That's the whole plan, to destroy country, to destroy people. That's, uh, rape is a part of the genocide in Ukraine. 
Ukrainian officials believe sexual violence is being encouraged by those at the top of the chain of command. But so many cases will go unreported, Omar, often out of shame. Leaving victims to suffer in silence. Horrific. All right, Danielle, thank you. Time for a short break, but when we come back... It seems like we can never have enough Santas. A shortage ignites a holiday hiring spree. Plus, honoring the pioneering players who powered through racism in the NHL. Well, Santa Claus may not be coming to some towns in the U.S. this season. The demand to meet St. Nick is high, but it seems Santas are in short supply. CTV's Richard Madden on a booming holiday business. Yeah! Across America, office Christmas parties are back with a vengeance. The Santa business is busier than we've ever been before. It seems like we can never have enough Santas, but how early we sold out of Santas this year is a first. Mitch Allen runs Hire Santa. He says nationwide bookings are up a whopping 120% from pre-pandemic levels as holiday revelers jingle their way for a return to normal, recruiting his Santas at malls, parties, and private events. People are, are not uh, worried about COVID. They're wanting to get that sense of tradition and get those um, normal things they did pre-COVID. Hello, sharks, and Merry Christmas. Alan's appearance on Shark Tank a few years ago would love to do a deal with you, Barbara. Yeah. Landed him a major investor and a lucrative contract to supply his Santas at New York's flagship Bloomingdale store. Hey, Santas, Mitch and I have some business to do. But the pandemic froze his business, followed by mass retirements of elderly Santas. But now, Alan is hiring new Santas by the thousands. The demand for diverse Santas has really gone up. Spanish-speaking Santa, uh, Santas who are fluent in ASL or American Sign Language. This year we have an entirely deaf Santa. Santa's coming at Santa! Keeping up with a thrill and growing demand of seeing a live Santa again, Alan is being forced to say no to clients for the first time in years. How does it feel to be Scrooge, to tell companies or people that, I'm sorry, we just don't have a Santa for you? Yeah, this is one of the hardest things that we have to do. And we're already booking more people for 2023 than we've ever done before. The North Pole has never been busier, and its star needs to be reserved years in advance. Richard Madden, CTV News, Washington. He's a popular guy. Still ahead, the comical Canadian confrontation. Okay, so you're Ryan Reynolds? What Shania said about Ryan at the People's Choice Awards. Coming up next. Don't get me A couple of Canadian stars were recognized at the People's Choice Awards last night, though not in the way you'd might expect. Actor Ryan Reynolds got a unique shout-out from singer Shania Twain. Twain substituted Reynolds' name for Brad Pitt's from her late 90s hit song, That Don't Impress Me Much. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. It was all in good fun, and both Twain and Reynolds went home with Icon Awards. And five Canadian trailblazers on the ice were honored today at the Hockey Hall of Fame for breaking barriers. Three of them are indigenous who persevered through racial taunts. Fred Sasakamoose played for the Chicago Blackhawks in 1953. 
Henry Elmer Miracle suited up for the New York Rangers in 1930. Paul Jacobs had a short stint with the Toronto Arenas in 1918. Willie O'Ree is one of the most influential players in hockey history as the first black man to play in the NHL for the Boston Bruins in 1958. These were challenges that were there for everyone, but they were perhaps amplified when you're trying to do your best in a, 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 a game where people don't expect to find someone that looks like you playing. Larry Kwong, a Chinese-Canadian, became the first Asian-Canadian to break into the NHL in 1948, given only a one-minute shift by the New York Rangers. So that one single shift, I mean, it's not that he wasn't good enough. They didn't want to put him in the game. And today proves like, yes, we acknowledge because you were not white, you were not given fair opportunity. All five players were recognized with a special plaque bearing their names. And coming up after the break, if these walls could talk. Our final story tonight is all about the art of storytelling, whether it's wisdom shared through words, or as you'll see in tonight's Indigenous Circle, images that inform and inspire. Here's CTV's Donna Sound. In this downtown Toronto church, there is a mural on three walls in its sanctuary that tells the Ojibwe creation story titled The Walls of Welcome. These murals are depicting our stories across the land and their opportunities to share this narrative to transform that negative stereotype that was developed to keep us down. Commissioned by the Christian minister as part of her church's path to reconciliation as a way of giving back and learning. She gave up full control over the project to the artist and didn't know what was going to be painted. So what was the project with these precious walls that I could put together with this idea of giving up agency, letting someone else be who and what they wanted to be? I can feel the energy when I come in here. Philip Cote is the artist who was given free reign to create in this sacred space. These stories, for me, is about sharing a reflection of us, the real reflection, and a, a reflection that our people should be proud of. Kote tells the story about connection and how everything and everyone is connected in some way. There's a physical and a spiritual. The Ojibwe artist is from Moose Deer Point First Nation in Ontario, and people can find his work in other unique places, like concrete barriers and hydro boxes. Well, I want them to ask the question, how come I don't know these people? And uh, where do I find a way to know them? Everything's layered. Art that brings cultures together. They are alive, they are in motion. This is the connection to our identities. Donna Sound, CTV News, Toronto. Powerful. And that is a snapshot of this Wednesday. I'm Omar Sajdina. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching. Good night and see you tomorrow.